This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today. And we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hey guys, would you like to become a supporter of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast? Well, I would love for you to be one too. I have set up Patreon for the podcast to help me continue growing. I have a wonderful editor with me now, and I would love to be able to get a little bit more support for the show as it grows bigger and bigger. I'm excited to see where this second year is going, and I thank you so much for continuing to listen to me and my guests each and every week. If you go to patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick, you can find the three different ways that you can support the show. There's lots of little goodies depending on which tier you choose. Today I talked to Janelle Saselski. Her fourth novel is out this week. Beauty Among Ruins. It's a World War I historical novel set in Scotland, because why not? Janelle and I talk about her journey as an author, going from just writing for herself, to finding an agent, to waiting four years for a publishing house to pick her up, going from smaller publishing house to Thomas Nelson, and how and why she never quit writing in between. And because she's never quit writing, she not only has Beauty Among Ruins out right now this week, but she has another one coming out in June. So if you are the type of reader that likes to binge your favorite authors, Janelle is the greatest author for you. Let's get into the interview so you can hear her story. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I have with me author Janelle Saselski. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I've been practicing, y'all. Um, I have with me Janelle. We're going to talk about her writing life. And before we get into that in her fourth novel, Beauty Among Ruins with Thomas Nelson, I would like to welcome you to the show. Hello, Janelle. How are you doing? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, good. I'm so excited to have you with me to talk about this. I have been blessed to be able to read your book. Um, I got about halfway through it before I interview, so I have lots of questions for you. <laughs> I'm ready. But before we get into that, why don't you let everyone know a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Janelle Sotowski. It's Polish, so it's a little, uh, it's a little bit of a tongue twister to say. I've been writing for about, a little over 15 years now. I got my first book published in 2018, and Beauty Among Ruins will be my fourth book published and my second with Thomas Nelson. Wow, you've been busy. I've been busy. Yes. Oh my goodness. So you've been writing for 15 years, but what brought you to publishing? Was it finally getting confidence, which is a little theme among some writers, or is it a a change in your life? What happened in between 15 years ago and two years ago? So I've always been a big reader, which most writers Mm. are. And I've always written a little bit, you know, ever since I was little, but 
I think I was in college and I was just getting aggravated with books because they didn't have plot lines going the way that I thought they should be going. <laughs> so I finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to write my own book and it's going to go how I want it to go. And like I said, I was in college at the time. So I was, you know, doing that. And then every once in a while trying to write out a story. And then when I got out of college, I joined the Air Force hmm. and um, moved to Germany where I met my husband and got married. And during that time, I was also writing a little bit. And then after four years, we got out of the military. We moved here to Virginia and I kept writing a little bit. And I think it was the third book that I had written. And I finally decided, you know what, I think maybe I should try this publishing route. So I had just come to a point in my life where I wasn't working full time and I had the time to dedicate to actual writing right. and um, finally pursuing that publishing uh, world. Yeah. So. so you had three books on your computer that you hadn't yet really stepped out and tried to publish. Yes, I did. Because that's, that's what I did. I just kept writing and writing. And, you know, I started just having all these stories under my belt ready ready to pass out. But I knew that first one, it was so terrible. It, it will never see the light of day, which I think most writers have that first book that yes. never gets seen. It's like you just have to get it out of your system. So when I finally started querying agents, I had a couple to, oh, you don't like that one? Well, here's another one. You know, I had them ready <laughs> to go. So in the meantime, were you learning like what it would take to get published? Like how to write your query letter? Was this always something that you were investigating or did you just one day decide, Oh, I better figure out how to send these books out. Well, I'm a, I'm a big planner. So I never do anything like spur of the moment before I started querying and thinking about wanting to get serious about this. I joined RWA and I started learning the actual craft of writing because it's not just sitting down and typing out stuff. There's actual like a way to go about it in certain rules and things that you kind of need to learn. And I, I started entering contests and reading extra books about structure and, and character development and black moments, learning all this stuff to help make my writing better um, and how to write a query letter and what a synopsis was and all of that stuff. And so when I finally felt comfortable enough that like, okay, I think, I think I got this. Then I started querying. Hmm. I queried for about a year. I got a lot of rejection and the very last agent on my list was the one who ended up contracting me. Wow. So that's a good story to never give up. Yes. Keep very going. much so. Yeah. I, I listened to one author talk about how um, she changed her mindset on querying to, to arrive at 100 rejections. Oh. And so she said, you know, we'll take over 100 to get the yes. So she spent, sent out 100 expecting all rejections, but getting better and better and better as she's writing 100 queries. I mean, I think I've written 30. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. They're, they're tough. <laughs> so kudos to, to her. They are very tough. They are. I don't think people who don't write understand how hard it is to talk about your book when you're the writer because <laughs> you understand so much about it and you, oh, but but on this page, and then you can't yeah. forget this, this character. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that's not what a query is. It's not. You have to cram like 200 pages down into one little paragraph. 
Yeah. I'll, everything on one page and then, you know, why they should take you on. Right. Like, I, because I'm <laughs> awesome. That's why you know, that just doesn't fly. Because I'll make you lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first book? Um, this is a historical fiction. Mm-hmm. It is like right up my alley on historical fiction. It's World War One yeah. in Scotland of all places. Uh, I mean, it's just like, oh. <laughs> Yes, Scotland. exactly what I want to read. Um, but what was your first one? Was it historical fiction as well? Yes, that's what I write. It's historical okay. romance. Um, my first one is called Among the Poppies, and it's set during World War One as well. It's about a female ambulance driver who drives ambulances on the front lines in France. So what is it about World War One? Are you a history buff? Do you like? Yes, I yeah. love history. Ever since I was little, I've just loved history and learning about you know, old things and stuff. You know, when I, when my mom would take us to the library, I would head straight for the historical nonfiction section and read all those old books and stuff. I just, I love learning about it. So when it came to, you know, read more mature books outside of babysitter's club, I went straight towards the historical fiction. Hmm. And then when it came time for me to start writing, it was just like, there was nothing else to consider. Of course I was going to write historical stuff. And I'd actually been drawn more to World War II stories Hmm. or anything set with like the Jacobites in Scotland and stuff, because I love Scotland. Um, (laughs) But then I watched an Abbey right when it was coming out, I think it was like the second season and they had the World War War erupted. I thought that's really interesting. Like why, why did we never hear about this time? Nobody ever talks about that war or the Edwardian period or anything. So it really interested me. I thought, well, I'll just write my own story. So that's how yeah. I fell into World War One. Yeah, World War One doesn't really get enough attention, I don't think. It doesn't, especially for Americans. And I think it's because we only entered in the last year of the war. So mm. we just didn't have much experience in it, unlike World War Two, where we were there for four years, five years, and we right. have a lot of living veterans from that war. So I think it's we're more cognizant of that time period. True. But World War One really changed the world. As much as World War Two switched things around, World War One, I, I mean, it was the downfall of the aristocracy in Europe. There were no more men left. There were no more men. They call it the lost generation because all the men were wiped out. You know, uh, technology completely changed the entire social structure. Uh, change, like it changed everything. Right, right. It's a, it's an interesting time in America too, though, because there's an affluence coming about in the cities. And there's a lot of money. Yes. But then we're heading into a time where prohibition is going to come about. I mean, that you're getting my wheels turning. That would be a really interesting dynamic happening and then we have Harlem and we have a lot of social issues and yep. wow okay yeah so it's a people really, start writing about World War One. <laughs> I know it's a really cool like uh you know 10 to 20 year stretch of all these different things happening yeah. and then you have the results of the war and and all this stuff so it's really cool so how much research did you have to do to sort of um get the description of this book because this book is is set in Scotland with an American up there and she's just sort of ready to do whatever it takes to 
pretty much not be sent home. I guess. <laughs> she's just like, I'm here. I better be useful. Yes. But it's so they're taking over the the manor, the castle as a hospital. Mm-hmm. And you kind of set the stage on like how broken the men are coming home. You know, what is going on? The gases that are being used on the field and the trenches and stuff. So what was that like researching that? So before I start any book, I do a lot of research. It happens to be my favorite part of the writing process. So I, I really like it. Um, I read all the, the books that I can. And in particular for this story, I read The Roses of No Man's Land by Lynn McDonald, which is a fantastic book. If, um, and it comes from the, the point of view from doctors and the nurses and what they experienced working with the wounded. And so you get like a, like a, you know, a real good glimpse into what was going on uh, with these mm. things. And that was my number one source for that. And I also read uh, Lady Almina, the real Downton Abbey. Mm. And because she turned her home into a convalescent home wow. during that, that time period. So I was able to use you know, what she did and what it was like to be inside of a convalescent home at the time. So those are my two main sources. And then, like I said, I watched Down Abbey and, and their home was turned into a convalescent home. Right. So I was able to use those visuals of what was going on and then kind of shape my, my hospital around that. Right. Okay. So how did you come up with this whole idea, this American heiress going to Scotland, all the sort of dynamics that are happening. How did, how did this come about in your head? Well, so I love Scotland. It's, I call it my heart place. It's it's my favorite place ever. So anytime I can set a story there or have a character from there, I'm going to do it. So (laughs) I thought it would be the perfect place for a convalescent home. And in one of the books that I was reading, it said that the hospital's in England got so overcrowded that they had to start sending the wounded further afield. And a lot mm-hmm. of them ended up in Scotland. Perfect. So I'll just have my, my setting there. And then uh, you're probably going to get sick of me saying this, but I was watching down Abbey, <laughs> and there was a scene, I think in the third season where lady Rose, have you seen Downton Abbey? Yes. So lady Rose, she's kind of spoiled and, kind of bratty at first um, when you meet her, but there's one scene where she starts teaching Anna how to dance for the Gillies ball. And I thought, that's it. That's perfect. That's the character that I want. I want you Mm. to not really like her maybe when you meet her. She's selfish and immature, but she has a really good heart underneath it. And that that was the kind of character that I wanted to write. Yeah. Fit those into. And as I started writing it, I thought, oh, maybe this like a beauty and the beast kind of a story so oh i see the parallel now Mm -hmm. okay i like that well i love characters that are flawed so because we're all flawed you know and i i hate it when my characters when i'm reading them like she's too good yes i really wanted to challenge myself when when i wrote this because i read too many characters where she's so perfect and everybody likes her and all i don't want to do that i wanted somebody that Maybe you didn't like that much at first, but she grows throughout the story and hopefully by the end she will have matured and that readers will appreciate her journey more. 
Right, right. I think that it's really true to life. A lot of us are who we are, especially when we're young. And just like, if you grow up that rich, that's all you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then something gets thrown your way that's hard. Yep. And you either step up or you don't, you know? Yep. So I really, I really am enjoying this book, oh, um, Beauty Among Ruins. But let's talk a little bit about your journey. You are published by Thomas Nelson twice. And then what was the other? Where, how did you do the other two? The other two uh, were with White House Publishing of the Carolinas. Okay. It's a smaller house, but they were willing to take a chance on me. And I think that's kind of their thing is that they take new unheard of writers and give them a chance and then kind of send them off to, to the bigger houses. So, you know, without them, I probably would never have been picked up by Thomas Nelson. So I'm really okay. grateful that they, they took a chance on me and, and that I wasn't afraid to go to a smaller house. Cause I know a lot of writers, Oh, I just want to go to the big houses. Well, you might have to go somewhere smaller and work your way up there first. Right. So did you do that through an agent? You got an agent first and then they, they pitched. Yes. And she actually, <laughs> we queried publishing houses for a while. I got her, I got my agent eight years ago. Okay. And I got my contract three years ago. So it was like four years worth of submitting manuscripts and stuff. Oh, wow. And she didn't give up on it. She did not give up, which I found out later is very rare. I think okay. a lot of agents, if you don't have a contract within a year, they say, okay, sorry, find another agent. But she she really believes in her clients, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, you're, you have an agent, you have a book, it's four years is going by, and you're obviously still writing. Yep. Okay. So how do you keep that mindset of it's, it's worth pursuing still? Like, how did you not feel like, oh, maybe I should give up? Like, did you ever have that moment? Or did you like, no, it's just going to keep going? I, I, you know, I don't think I ever wanted to give up because writing is what I want to do. Hmm. And I always said that even if nobody reads this, I'm still going to write because that's what I want to do. And hopefully one day somebody will want to read my stories. And, and if that's meant to be, then it will happen when it happens. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep working. I love that attitude. That's amazing. There are so many people who are just willing to, oh, well, maybe it's not for me. Or maybe it wasn't I, I meant think to that's be. the difference between those who are called to write and those who just think it's a fun idea because writing is tough. I mean, it, yeah. It's not, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And if, it's not something that you really want to do, then why do it? Yeah. You know? So have you been able to, are you a full-time writer now? Or are you also? Yes, I am a full-time writer. Um, I'm lucky enough that my husband has a fantastic job that enables me to be at home all day. And, you know, I have a daughter, she's in first grade and we're battling the hybrid school schedule she's on right now, which is really tough. But yes. I'm, I'm a full-time writer and I love it. Awesome. So with, when you decided to query an agent, was that because you didn't really want to go the indie route? Were you in Germany and you just thought it would be easiest or wh why, how did that decision get made? 
I think I always wanted to have an agent because mm. it's the more traditional path and having an agent, at least for me, it seems easier because they do all the work. <laughs> I just want to write the story, you know, let somebody else deal with the contracts and stuff. But there was a time when I kept getting all these rejections. So I thought, well, maybe I should try indie. You know, I was, mm. I was having some low moments and thought, well, maybe if nobody ever picks me up, then I'm going to have to look into this, this indie stuff. And luckily nowadays, indie doesn't have the stigma that it did a couple of years ago. It's getting much more respect. So now even, even authors who are traditionally published, if you have an idea that, that doesn't fit your, your brand, you still have the option to go over here and publish it by yourself, which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think both routes are really good. I hope that they can both continue because mm -hmm. it all depends, you know. So what is it, just for anyone looking, what is it that an agent does for you that you don't have to do? Is it really just the, the business end, the legality of the contracts, or do, does she do more? So my agent, she takes my manuscript and she will send it out to different publishers and then they will either accept it or reject it. And if they reject it, then she sends it out to another publishing house and you know, just keeps trying. And then if the publishing house says, yes, I want this, then she negotiates the contract mm. for me. And basically she's there to look out for me, to make sure that I'm getting the best deal that I can, that I'm getting a decent paycheck. And if I have any kind of issues with my publisher, which luckily I never have, then she is there to help me like just with the legality okay. of stuff. But luckily I've had a pretty smooth relationship with both publishing houses, but I am grateful she's there to do the contract because when I read through them, I have no idea <laughs> what all that jargon is. Yeah. And if she's advocating and maybe she has a better, you know, a relationship with people in the houses where us writers are like, I don't, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> and it does help to have an agent who has contacts in the different publishing houses. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So when you said that you joined RWA, that is that Romance Writers of America? Yes. Yes. Did you know as you were writing this, before you joined them, how many rules there were to, you know, those unspoken rules for the romance reader? No. I didn't either. <laughs> I, I started didn't. listening to a podcast years ago and I was like, oh, like we have to follow rules. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know, but I would read enough books, you know, that I kind of knew how stories mm -hmm. go. There's just a natural flow to stories. And then I found out that there's all these different rules. Oh, no, that's how I was supposed to write. But I here's the thing. You learn the rules. And then when you get good enough, you can start to break them. Right, right. And, and a lot of the rules are a natural trajectory of, of a romance story, you know. Yes. So a lot of times it's like, oh, thank goodness that that follows the rule. Yeah, you know? exactly. But there are certain rules that if you're going to market as romance, you better not break. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like there, there has to be the happily ever after. You better not kill him off. <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Romance readers don't like it when the hero dies on the last page. Yeah, they'll kick you out of the club. Yep. What is There's a movie with Nicole Kidman where she goes back to, is it Queensland or something? When she goes back to, to Australia. And it makes me so mad because the whole 
movie just ends so darkly and just so everyone just nothing works out how it's supposed to work out, you know, as like a writer. And you're just like, I, I just, why, was why that, even make this movie? Was that Australia? No, it's a newer one. Where she goes back to this little tiny town. Not Nicole Kidman. Is it Kate Winslet? Kate Winslet. The dressmaker? Yes. Made me so mad. (laughs) It's it's that's it started off really quirky and like, oh, okay. Great. And Kate Winslet's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then then at the end, you're like, why? Why did I waste my time? I just want to throw something at the TV. Yes. I envision romance readers are like that when they pick up a book that says romance and then they kill off the hero. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? Like, I only like books with happy endings because yes. I think there's too much bad stuff in the world. I need some, some happiness. I need them to get together and ride off and stay together. <laughs> so are any of them intertwined? Are the characters, like, do they go from book to book or are they completely separate stories? No, they're completely standalone. By the time I finish writing one of these books, because it takes me about a year from starting with the research to, to ending. By the time I'm done, I'm done. Hmm. I am, I'm done. I'm ready to move on to something else. Well, I mean, this book is, let me see. I'm going to check. Yeah, it's 400 pages long. So I'm sure that you're done. <laughs> you yes. pretty much have, have, gotten everything you can out of these yes. characters. Yeah, I'm, I love the characters, but I'm no moving more. on. Sorry. <laughs> so this one will come out. Well, I guess by the time we've we've published this podcast, it is out now, Beauty Among Ruins. So what, what does it look like when you're with a publishing house, when you're at this stage and the book's about to come out? Do you do book launches as much as COVID will let you? Stupid virus. Um, do you do, are you still responsible for some of your social media? Or like, can you talk to us a little bit about what your responsibilities are as an author? So when I was with Lighthouse, it was a much smaller house and their budget wasn't very big. So a lot of the responsibility for promotion felt to me. Mm. So, which I'm kind of glad because I, it got me used to doing that sort of thing. So when I joined Thomas Nelson, they took a lot of that on themselves because they have a marketing team. I have my own publicist. So they now launch, you know, like Goodreads giveaways and BookBub ads and Facebook ads. And they get me into writing different articles and which is fantastic. So I don't have to do that, but I still need to go on Instagram and Facebook and just kind of keep up with the readers in, in the forums and posting about different things. So there's a lot less pressure on me now with Thomas Nelson. But at the same time, I do try to pull my weight hmm. and say, hey, I'm still making an effort to help promote my books because it's my book. I mean, I should be out there promoting it, you know, and making right. contacts with readers and stuff. So so with this this year where you don't get to go out and do any readings and you don't really get to interact with readers like you might have with your other three, are there anything, any activities that you're trying to do? Is it mostly podcasts, I guess, because that we are socially distanced? Yes. Yes. <laughs> most of um, most of the things that are happening now, they're all virtual. So I have contacted different bloggers and podcast people and 
bookstores and just try to set up different virtual author events kind of like this, you know, yeah, doing little interviews and whatnot. That, that's what everybody's doing because nobody's doing signings right, right now. So you're still kind of responsible for getting yourself out there, like kind of double up the yes. work, whatever Thomas Nelson can do. But if you can double it up, obviously yes. you can reach a lot larger audience that way. Yes. All these virtual events are things that I have reached out to people about. Okay. Yeah, I think um, it's good to understand as uh, any author trying to decide what lane to go to, that there's always work to do besides the writing. Yes, especially now that I'm one month out, it's there's a big push right before a book is released where you get a ton of interviews that you have to do and, and all kinds of stuff. So it it's a, it's a lot more work in this lead up month. Yes. So how is it to do it in January? Have you launched in January before? Is there a month in the year that is better for books? Do you know? Well, no, I've never launched in January. So right now it's kind of a unique situation because not only are we in the middle of a pandemic, which has kind of slowed down everything, but we're also right here in the middle of the holidays, which also slows down everything. And everybody wants to talk about their Christmas reads and their, their Christmas lists and all this stuff. And it's hard to say, Hey, why don't you read, you know, my book, it's coming out in January. Sometimes it feels like it could easily get lost Hmm. in the shuffle of all of this. So compared to my last release, which was in April, right when the pandemic hit here in the States, it seems a little bit more difficult this time. So if I had to choose, I would probably not do it in January again, but that's not up to me. That's, that's the publisher. Okay. So when you have a publisher, they set the date. Yes. Okay. Because so they wouldn't, they wouldn't hold it or I don't know what. Unless there was a major issue, but that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me. You know, they have business and, and all these other books that they have to get published that sure. have to fit into their own schedule. So that they is- can't be like, no one gets January. No, books. right. <laughs> no, they can't do that. Well, the good thing about January is you have all the Goodreads readers setting their goals for the year and That's looking true. for new books. That's and, true. you know, we're all going to be like, well, this year I'm going to read because we all think that. <laughs> and this is a good book to read. And uh, although like all the, it says 400 pages, I mean, it is spaced as all books are, you know, and it's a really, I don't mean easy in the sense like it's, you know, a kid's book, but it's not. You don't ever have to go back and be like, did I read that right? It's not like heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really fun to get into it. And the, the description is very vivid. So I like stepped right into the story and was like, oh, I can see all of this. Oh, this, good. Is, this is beautiful. Good. I want to go to Scotland now. <laughs> Who doesn't want to go to Scotland? Exactly. Uh, have you been to Scotland? I've been twice. We were supposed to go next year, but, but. that's not going to happen. Yeah. Everyone has a bud at the end with their travel. I know. Oh, it's all right. Life will get normal some someday. Hopefully soon. <laughs> so we were talking about languages earlier, and you have, because it's set in Scotland, mm-hmm. and because the Scottish are so difficult to understand. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I lived in Northern Ireland for a year, and I remember getting off the bus when I was I was 19. Got off the bus. The bus driver talked to me, and I looked at him, and and I really wanted to say, is that English that you're speaking? 
<laughs> and then I've had friends who are Scottish and I always feel like I have to make my ears like trumpets mm. to understand. I mean, it depends on the dialect, but they have different words because they, they kept, they kept words from their, from their Gaelic. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on guys. I know. <laughs> but once you get it, like they they sing their words. I'm trying to find the word where you have all the Scottish. Anyway, I'm trying to talk as I look through this. All right. So you have the glossary board. So mm-hmm. how was it looking into the different words, the languages in order to make it really feel authentic with, with your main character being in Scotland and being American and not understanding at all? What no. Well, well, I'm a huge fan of Outlander. So that helped a lot listening or watching the watching the shows you know you get you get a feel for the rhythm of how mm-hmm. they say things and then when you read the books obviously you can get dialect that way and i also have two of the the outlandish companion books mm. where diana discusses the writing process but she also has a gallic and scots dictionary in both of them that i kind of use that as my basis yeah for some of the gallic and the Scots words. Yes. I am a big fan of having foreign words in novels. Mm-hmm. I have heard from some of my readers that they don't like it. And I said, well, too bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> flavor. I read some where it's a little overdone and you have to stop and like, like it's very hard. And I've, I'm guilty of doing that sometimes too. So I've had to learn how to scale it back and just kind of sprinkle in certain words or change up the 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 flow of the sentence to mm. prove that they they speak differently. Yeah. How and important do you think it is to to step into that culture when you're writing from a culture that's not your own and listening to the dialect and watching like whether it's movies or television shows with those actors and uh, how much do you think it influenced and helped the story along? Oh, I think it's it's so important to to do that if if you want to be authentic to your character and to your setting and the history that they come from i think it's it's so important to listen to that and try to capture that in their their words because there's there's a reason that we use certain words in different countries and why we speak certain ways and it's because of our history and and our society and all of this uh, converging together and you can get so much out of people's words their vocabulary and and the pattern of their speech and whatnot and when you listen to it like in a movie you can hear what they're saying Mm -hmm. and as a writer then you can use that to incorporate into your to your words and then your readers will be like oh I they're Scottish. They don't sound American. They're Scottish. And that just helps the, the believability of the world that you're trying to create in your stories. Right. I've heard from other uh, romance authors, whenever I have a conversation, I, everybody's name leaves my head. <laughs> I anyway, <laughs> I talk to other authors or I, I love hearing what they're saying. You know what? I'll, I'll remember her name because I really do like her books, which a lot of her books are set after the civil war Mm -hmm. um and she says that she doesn't read anything while she's writing unless it is set in that time and Mm -hmm. because she can't you know she'll 
maybe find a movie or something that's set in that time, but she will not leave that time zone Mm. until she's done reading the book. Are you that strict with yourself? I'm not that strict, but, but that is a good idea. I do because if I'm writing a Scottish story and like I'm watching a Russian show on Netflix, then my Scottish person will start to sound Russian and it just, it influences you, you know, and, ah, no, they're not. Isn't it amazing how much it influences you? <laughs> it really like, does. So yes, you have to, you have to be much more careful with that. Yeah. When you're, when you're set historically and not contemporarily. Exactly. Because the historical, it has a different flow mm. to the, to the words than, especially than we speak now, but having written World War One and World War Two, even though they're only like 20 years apart, there's a different speech pattern in those two different eras. So I have to be very careful of which one I'm writing in. Yes. And you have to be careful with those of us readers who will realize that they did not have that carol back then because it was written in the 60s. And I am one of those readers. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's part of research. making. Or they didn't have that word. Yes. That's another one too. And sometimes... Sometimes I've been called out like, oh, I can tell this author is American. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I try. You can't please everybody. You know? I know. But you're right. They I'm should... not British, so I don't know the exact word that you would use. Yeah, you'd probably have to live there to really get it into your head like every. But then maybe your American character wouldn't be as American. So I mean, it's interesting how the creative mind just like we sort of grab on to all these things around us. Yep. And... It's a lot harder than people think. It's tr- it's and a tough balance. It, it is. really is. It's like should you should you spell color the way with a U if oh, you're yeah. writing yes. <laughs> in Scotland? Yes. Or gray with an E or an A. Which which one is it? I can never figure out that. I don't know why. It must have been my time in Ireland, but I'm 39 years old and I still can't remember how to spell gray. <laughs> what country am I in? I don't know. <laughs> I love spell check to figure it out. I'm like, you know, that color that's in between white and black. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Yes. <laughs> like Grey's Anatomy. Is that the color or the name? I don't know. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of my one of my things. So since you kind of got your agent when you had, how many of the books have you published that you had on your computer? So your first one, you said you weren't ever going to allow to see the light of day. Mm-mm. So are the other two published? Um, let's see. I've got not counting that one. There is a pirate one sitting on there, which is actually the story of how I got my agent. Hmm. That's the one that she picked up, but no publisher wanted it. What what year is that set in? That is set in the uh, 1700s. Oh, that must have been fun. It was a lot of fun. I had to learn a lot of nautical terms, which was Oh, fun. I bet. But so where are the pirates from? What country are they from? Uh, I, we're making you dig back. I know, years. right? You're writing in years. My main characters are both British, mm. but I have, I think I have British and also kind of Algerian kind of. That's like, so funny. So my first, the one that I published first is, was influenced heavily by reading about the Burberry pirates, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it set in the 1700s. I wanted it set in 1831 when Britain was deciding whether to abolish slavery in their colonies. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it in the island anymore, so they mm-hmm. thought they were great. 
they still had it in all their colonies. It was very influenced by that. And then I had to move everything around. (laughs) That's tricky. But I loved the research because I was like, oh my, well, actually the research, I like it, but it was horrifying. Yeah. Like the things that happen on pirate ships is worse than they portray with, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. I mean, they just have like some black teeth and Jack is really funny. Right. No, there were like, I think the most horrifying thing was they would, they would grab people off the coast because the Burberry pirates were like really the strongest pirates at that point. They were. Along, and they would take people all the way up from Scotland. Like they would just grab them from the coast. So nobody lived on the coast. Yep. So they're like, we're going to get grabbed. Yep. And they would chain them below and you would just row. And you would be chained. You would eat there. You would sleep there. You would go to the bathroom there. You would mm-hmm. never leave until you die. That's terrible. And then they'd just throw you overboard. That's like, terrible. What? Yeah. I was horrified. Yeah. Of course, the, then the story went a whole different direction, but that's what I wanted to write about. So oh. we're pirate pals. <laughs> yeah. Mine's still gathering dust, though. Well, my I mean, that actually never got written. It was a whole different story. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll take out a different character. How did she get to there? (laughs) Anyway. Oh, my goodness. But that's funny. I think if you read history, you get really. There are so many things that you could write about that you could set a story in. Yes. I obviously I read a lot, but a lot of my inspiration comes from watching movies and shows Mm. because I'm a visual learner. So I'll watch a show and think, (gasps) oh. I could do something with that. And that's where a lot of my story ideas come from. I love that. Yes. I think we're very influenced by different stories. Being told in different medias, you know, I'm watching the Queen's Gambit right now and I'm just fascinated by how they portray this character. Mm -hmm. Just my writer's mind is going crazy. (laughs) Right. It just gets you going when you watch these really cool shows. And they've been coming out with a lot of really good ones lately too. Yes. With really quirky characters. Like Mm -hmm. how would you portray that in the written work? Because it's different with video. It is. So what era are you writing in now? Are you writing the next novel or are you waiting? Yes. I've already, I've written. You're already started. (laughs) I've um so there's my my next book after Beauty Among Ruins is coming out in July, like six months later, called The Ice Swan, and it's about a Russian princess fleeing the uh, Russian Revolution. And so was that one already written too? Like, or have you been writing this quickly as you go? I I wrote that one last year. Yes, last year. And then once I finished that, I started another one earlier this year that's set during World War One, And I got to write it during COVID. So yay, <laughs> the creativity was completely off. And then I finished it. And then I just finished a little short novella that I'm working on. And then I'm about to start another one. So I'm continually working on a story. Do you find it difficult to talk about a book that you finished? Two years ago, that's just now coming out. It's a refresh. Yes. <laughs> it's it hard. I, I wrote Beauty Among Ru- Okay, here's the story. I started writing it like years ago. Mm. And then I got a couple of chapters into it and I didn't have a plot. I could not figure out where that story was going. And so I ended up having to put it aside, which is something that I never do. I usually just push through 
problems. But this one I just could not figure out. And I had to put it away for a couple of years. And then I ended up writing another book in the meantime, or maybe two books. I don't know. And then it, the, the idea finally came to me. And then I was able to go back and finish the story. Well, I like that you did that, though, because I think especially writing romance or a love story, it's kind of easy to just write a love story. Yeah. Like just focus on the relationship between the characters. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing else going on, it the reader knows. And it's really hard to finish the book. Like It's true. Like something else needs to happen. Yeah, you need <laughs> you need a plot, you know? And then if you, the writer, is getting bored with the story, Not readers are going to get bored. Yes. Uh, so I love that you did that. Actually, my third one coming out, I did that as well. I set it aside because I was like, I don't even... It was actually finished, but I was like, yeah, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Something's wrong. So... So kudos to us and kudos to anybody out there who has decided to set it aside. Just keep writing. But I love how you just you just kept going. Mm -hmm. So you had like that four years where you're querying and you're working with your agent and you did not stop Mm -hmm. and you did not assume that your first book, you know, needed to have, you know, just don't write anymore. Just have that one book. And so you were really prepared for the publisher being like, well, I have this one. And hey, and I have this one and this one and this one. I know. I know. So I bet I, they love you, though. <laughs> They're like, excellent. I just keep flinging them out. Here you go. Here's another one. Here's another one. <laughs> I just, I mean, like I was saying, I, I love writing. This is what I'm supposed to do. And hopefully people will want to read it. But even if they don't, I'm just going to keep writing. That's, it's what I like to do. So, you know, when I finish a project, I just write into the next one because that's what I want to do. And I, I love it. Ne- I never take for granted that a story is going to get picked up because it may not. True. So you got to be ready to, to start a new one. I love that. Cause I, I tell people all the time, really, if you, a, the days of like, I mean, I, I used to dream like I'm going to publish my book and then I'm going to be rich and then I'm going to publish another book, but oh. I'll be rich <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be famous. I mean, this is 19 year old cat. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Right. And a, I don't think that even happened 20 years ago to half of the people who wrote. But these days, like, yeah, if you're writing, you should be writing because you love writing. Mm-hmm. And because there's somebody out there who needs to read your book or will want to read your book will be changed or have fun or, you know, sometimes we just need a distraction. Whatever it is for them, what your book can give them, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is kind of like extra. It is. It and is. Th- I mean, that's how it should be. It you should know. be that way, you know, and I've heard some people, they treat it more as a, a job, you know, but hopefully the majority of writers are doing it because we love it, you know. And but I mean, you love it, but you're also treating it like a job. Like you didn't stop. You kept going. You keep writing. You know, do you write every day? How is, what is your writing? Well, well, I used well, to write. Non-COVID time. <laughs> Non-COVID days, when my uh, first grader was at school, yes, I would have eight hours all Mm. to myself to write books. But right now, I get two days out of the week where I'm by myself and and I can write. So it's a little crazy right now. But, you know, before before she even started school, I was having to write during her nap time. So it was like two hours a day, and that's all I got. But I had to really utilize it. 
So, and have you always considered research part of the writing process? Yes. Like, do you write while you're researching, or do you set everything aside while you research? So, so it's changed over the years. I because I love history so much, I've all had a pretty good foundation of what was happening when mm. and whatnot, and then when I'm starting a particular story, like for Beauty Among Ruins, I started reading everything to do with World War One and convalescent homes and uh, whatnot. So I could get them. So I start off with like a, like a bird's eye view of what the world looked like during that time. And then I get more and more focused on how it relates to my story. And that's generally how I approach it. But now that I've been writing several stories in these periods, I, my foundation of knowledge has built up. So I haven't had to research as much right. anymore because, you know, I already know it, but I will research the things that are much more specific to the story. Okay. And are you doing that before you really start the story? Like the story's in your head and then you go do your research yes. and then you start writing? Yes. I, I typically take a couple of weeks to read any of the nonfiction books that I've have on the topic. And then I generally try to read some of that as I, as I'm writing it, but I try to do most of the research before I start. All right. Sort of have that, the, the visuals in your head. Yes. Yeah. See, I had a hard time when I really started taking it seriously, admitting, like convincing myself that the research was also part of the work. Mm -hmm. So I would always feel bad for not writing because I was spending the time reading maybe because I enjoy reading so much I was like oh (laughs) I'd rather be reading (laughs) it's part of the process I think because you have to get it in your head and the more you read the better your story will be so yes I count it as part of the writing process I love that yes it's a good it's good advice for people I think because otherwise you get super overwhelmed Mm -hmm. like thinking I haven't even started Well, you have started, you have to, you have to do your research. So I have come around to realizing and being more gracious to myself. (laughs) Yes. I think it helps the more you write, the longer you've been writing, the more comfortable you'll get with not feeling guilty or I should be doing it this way, or, or this is how this person works. Everybody has their own process and it changes and that's okay. True. COVID hits and then you can't do anything that you, you cannot. (laughs) And and creativity is like what? What am I doing? Yes, I don't exactly. Know. What is it? It disappears. Is where it goes. Oh my goodness, we have to get over this. <laughs> well, it doesn't look like you have been lacking creativity because you have a book coming out and then another book coming out. Yes, <laughs> yes. But this this is wonderful. This is an absolute encouragement, I think, to people to keep writing because mm-hmm. I I kind of like this idea of you have it, you get it done. And you can have one come out, it looks like, every six months, honestly. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I. That was not my decision to do <laughs> six months. I don't know. I think they just thought, oh, hey, she's got her manuscript ready. Let's uh, let's get it out there. You know? So for a business point of view, I understand it. But from a writer's point of view, it's that's pretty close together. <laughs> so you have that. You have the Russian one. But then you are you out of novels except for the novel that you're working on? Is no. that when you you'll be caught up? No, no, I've got I've got a duology that I've already written half of, and I've got a novella coming, and 
Yeah. So are you writing these at the same time? Are you writing several stories at the same time? Oh, no, I, okay. I cannot do that. I, so I finished part one of the duology okay. this past year during COVID. And I'm sure it is terrible. And then I knew the second half of the duology is, is going to be a lot heavier. Mm. So I didn't want to start it this year because it's it'll be stressful. even heavier. And I, I need <laughs> I need to have that. Yeah, we'll be like, why are you so depressed, Janelle? You'll be know. like, because I I'm know. writing I, a book. <laughs> I need to be de-stressed in order to write this next heavy book. So I, I ended up writing a novella. Well, that's a good idea, though. It's a good you gotta you gotta be sometimes good you to, to yourself. Yeah, you have to take a, a little break sometimes and do something that you need to do for yourself. Absolutely. I love that. Well, your book again is called Beauty Among Ruins. It has an absolutely beautiful cover. They did an excellent job there. And you can find Janelle at Janelle Soselski. I'm going to write it because there's no way I would ever come up with this. (laughs) I know, right? Polish? (laughs) Polish. Is it Polish? So I grew up in Wisconsin with lots of Polish last names. So I was like, oh, it's a ski. It's, it's a, a Polish ski. name. Yep. <laughs> That's what we were called in the military with the skis. It's the ski. That's <laughs> funny. So on on all the social medias, it looks like you're Janelle Soselski. Yep. So I will have that in the show notes as well. But you guys can find by today when the podcast comes out, Beauty Among Ruins is out everywhere that you can find books. I highly encourage you guys to get it, especially if you like historical fiction, if you like historical romance. If you like romance, if you like Scotland, I mean, all these reasons. (laughs) So many reasons. (laughs) And you have three other books from Janelle that you can go find when you're done with this one. You, you know, if you're a binge reader, Mm -hmm. like sometimes I am. And then another one will be coming out in June. So we might as well have you come back on and talk about that one. Talking about Russia. Hopefully COVID will be over. Yay. Uh, Thank you so much, Janelle, for coming on and telling us your story and about your book. I've really enjoyed our time. Thank you for having me. I've, I've had a really great time. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.